Thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's Dairy Dialogue podcast for the global dairy industry, brought to you by DairyReporter.com, the daily global dairy news site. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this week we have a preview of the Pro Food Tech event taking place in Chicago in March, and an interview with UK company Food Forward about its very interesting data platform for the UK dairy industry. And we'll have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. I should mention that we often do feature events with both previews and post-show coverage, so if you're involved with an event and want to be featured, please contact us through dairyreporter.com. It's been an odd kind of week and one that flew by for some reason, probably because there are so many events coming up to prepare for, such as Golf Food and the Ice Cream Expo early next week. Hopefully I'll have at least one interview from that show next time, but you never know, I could get to the venue and have forgotten my recording equipment. I do remember being a newspaper editor in the very, very early days of digital cameras and showing up to do an interview without the flashcard inside it. The most recent technical issue I've had took place at Anuga a couple of years ago, although it wasn't a disaster, but it was kind of amusing. Well, at least I think it was. If you're ever at events and you see someone being interviewed, chances are you've seen those tiny lapel microphones, and often they have a tiny spongy piece that fits over the top that's called a windshield, or at least in some places it's called a windshield. They're quite small and very fiddly for incompetent people like me, but they do help, so I always use one. Well, at Anuga I was just about to do an interview when I noticed the windshield had fallen off. Of course, that's a needle in a haystack time with thousands of people walking around a huge event. Amazingly, though, I turned around and there it was in the middle of the aisle, maybe 10 yards away. So I trotted off after it, only for someone to step on it. No big deal, you'd think. They're spongy and they don't break. And I don't know how this happened, but it's stuck to the sole of the lady's foot. I thought for a second about chasing after her, but how do you say, I'm sorry, but I think you have my windshield stuck to your shoe, especially considering she could have been from any country in the world. So I just gave up and left it. And when I got home, I bought a pack of eight of them. And of course, since buying eight, I've not lost one since. I wonder if that stayed with her to the hotel and if she knew what the thing was, if she did. Anyway, if you're listening to this program and it was you, it's okay, I don't need it back. Anyway, the joys of shows. I have many more stories from shows that I can and probably will tell in future podcasts, but I'll try and leave it to a maximum of one so people don't delete the podcast early. And it's shows that we turn to first this week with a preview of Pro Food Tech, which takes place at McCormick Place in Chicago from March the 26th to the 28th. It's the only event in North America focused exclusively on all the food and beverage sectors with 7,000 processing professionals and 450 global suppliers with booths covering 150,000 square feet of exhibit floor. Whole lot of walking, but at least it gets some exercise in. To preview the show, I spoke with Laura Thompson, Senior Director of Expositions at one of the show's organisers, PMMI, the Association for Packaging and Processing Technologies, and Neil Moran, Senior Vice President, Finance, Administration and Trade Show at IDFA. I first asked Laura for a little bit of background about the show. We actually launched the show in 2017 uh, with a partnership with IDFA, Colmesa, who organizes the Anuga Show, and PMMI. 
So this show this year will actually be our second edition. We got together to launch it because we felt there wasn't really a show in the marketplace that covered all industries. What's great about Pro Food Tech is I, I know you're, you're focused on dairy in this conversation today, but we really do touch on solutions for the entire uh, food and beverage processing industry. So sure. we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to have about uh, 400 exhibiting companies at the show providing you know, processing solutions, ingredients for everything from dairy, baking and snack, confectionery, fruits and vegetables, pet food, et cetera. So what's the involvement from the IDFA's perspective? We're actually a partner along with PMMI and Cole Messe. Um, this, this show kind of represents a real opportunity for us to, you know, to get involved with two trade show powerhouses and, and use our expertise with conference programming and educational uh, discussions you know, to really round out the, the show. So you know, we look at this as an opportunity to become a full-fledged partner for the, with the dairy industry in the show. IDFA, actually, uh, we host a dairy pavilion in the show. It's a focused, targeted area on the show floor, so attendees can easily come and find the dairy solutions that they need. Sure, that was going to be one of my questions, if you could give me a bit more uh, background as to what that involves or what the dairy section is. It's about 50,000 square feet, which is comparable to what it was in the initial show. And the pavilion, you know, from our, our way of thinking, since we're the dairy people, we thought it was a tremendously successful uh, uh, way to present dairy. It, it allowed for uh, a consolidation of an awful lot of dairy-specific exhibitors who had solutions and provided networking opportunities for not only every, all the attendees, but specifically for IDFA's members and a lot of other dairy stakeholders. So it worked out really well in the first show, and the one nice change we've made from the first show in terms of the educational component is we have those zones, the disruption, the innovation, and the impact zone on the show floor, and they're closely embedded in the dairy part of it. So it's a, a good opportunity. And the companies that are coming to the show, would they be national or international? Companies come from all over the world. Most of the companies that are, are the real highlights of the show to me are U.S.-based companies or U.S.-based subsidiaries of, of foreign companies. So it's a nice you know, group of people that are U.S.-based, whether they're a foreign company or whether they're a domestic company. And visitors, would that be the same thing, primarily U.S.? For visitors, yes. Again, they, they tend to be from you know, multinational companies, but they come from all industries. Okay, and how many visitors did you have last time, and how many are you expecting this time? Um, we're expecting around 7,000 visitors. We had um, around 6,500 last time. That's going in the right direction then? Oh, yes, definitely. Actually, <laughs> registration is up. We've got about three times the number of people registered uh, this time as we had previously. So, you know, hopefully we, we exceed our attendance goals if we keep tracking in this direction. And it's more than just a show in terms of floor space and exhibitors. There's all kinds of other things going on as well. Could you let me know what some of those are? Neil has uh, the three stages that are on the show floor that he can give a little bit more details on. One thing that we're really focusing on this year is free show floor education. We found with all of our shows that you know, people don't necessarily want to leave the show floor, go commit to a long conference program. They want to stay get good information in a short amount of time and then maximize their time on the show floor. 
So we have several stages that offer free show floor education. We have our Packaging and Processing Women's Leadership Network, who will be hosting a breakfast. That organization we've seen grow tremendously over the years. Uh, we have our Pro Food World Magazine is putting on our Sustainability and Excellence Awards, as well as Manufacturing Innovation Awards. Uh, we have the Cold Pressure Council, who's going to be organizing their conference at the show. In addition to the help from our international partners, uh, we have some international pavilions who will be at the show. We have pavilions from China, France, India, and Taiwan. We have a lot going on. We know people are, are making an effort to come to the show, and we want to make sure that when they're there, they get access to not only the, the exhibitors on the show floor, but as well as this free education. Um, so Neil can talk a little bit about the, the three stages that we have. Sure. The, uh, and, and the one thing that, that Laura alluded to was the fact that we've managed to get all the zones, all the educational sessions onto the show floor. So not only are the attendees happier to be able to be involved on the floor and to you know, take time out and just go to the things they'd like to learn about, but also the exhibitors are happy to make sure that the attendees stay on the floor as long as possible. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice combination that makes both parties happy and, and uh, it adds for a much more, I think, exciting and uh, an interactive part of the show. When we were trying to d decide how to have the educational sessions, we decided that the best thing to do was to try to break it up into three different categories because each one of the categories has a little bit different to offer. The impact zone, we're going to have interactive discussions that are really, you know, people have said to us, you know, we'd like to learn more about this or we'd like to hear something about, you know, this, this specific topic or something that's changing that we'd like to get some information on. So we've incorporated those into the impact zone. The innovation zones are, are demonstrations about the, uh, some of the different products and offerings that the exhibitors have. And again, they answer questions about technical issues as well as, you know, things like food safety, um, you know, the, the trends in consumer practices, those types of things. One of the things we're really happy with is the, the disruption zone because there are so many different disruptive technologies, disruptive services, disruptive processes that are going on throughout the business world, not just in, in uh, you know, the, the food and beverage part of the world, but every, every day, everywhere you look, you see these changes. And it's, it's incredible the amount of changes that are being initiated by these kinds of things. So, you know, whether it's uh, in, in the dairy industry in particular, there's an awful lot of changes that are being driven by consumer demand, whether it's uh, the type of product, the type of way that people can, uh, can you know, buy and eat product, whether it's online, the grab-and-go kind of thing. But there's, there's just consumer-driven changes that are being innovated by, you know, our members and other people in the trade to, to I think, the mutual benefit of our, our members and also for the, uh, the consumers. So that's something that we're going to stress and, and make sure that people are aware of all the different impact things that are going on throughout the industry. One of the things that PMI is really focusing on this year is education, is introducing people to the industry and helping our members as well as the industry as a whole find qualified workers. So at the show, we are going to have a career link, which is a, a, essentially a career fair to get students and veterans who are looking for careers in packaging and processing in touch with potential employers. Uh, we also are working with local high school robotics teams and bringing them in uh, as part of our Future Innovators Robotics Showcase. And then we also have several partner schools, uh, technical universities that will be at the show as well. Our goal is to get students to the show so they can 
we always find it's much more exciting for them to come see everything in action. Uh, we have some industry experts who actually take them around the show floor to show them specifics and teach them a little bit about the industry. So that's a, a very important topic. So it's about 25 different events in one then with the job fair as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. It, it, there is a lot going on. <laughs> seems like it's very trend and innovation oriented, which is a good thing because it keeps it very current. Well, and that's one of the, the key points for, you know, why people attend when we do the post-show survey. They know that, you know, networking, uh, access to people who are, you know, able to provide solutions uh, to their, you know, operating requirements, and then also the innovations. People are always looking for innovations. Clearly, yours is more than just a trade show with exhibitors. There's all kinds of educational components and other things involved. How do you get that balance right? Well, I think, you know, working with our, our two partners, are, there are a tremendous number of innovations in equipment, packaging technologies, processing technologies, but also they're just, you know, business-to-business -business kind of discussions that people really are looking forward to. I mean, they know that some of the, you know, the, the best and the brightest people are going to be at the show, either as exhibitors or as attendees. So they have the, an opportunity to be involved in those discussions and to take say, something away that they'll take back to their companies and be able to either increase efficiencies, increase productions, or increase the bottom line. That's, that's a key element of the show that, that uh, you know, the three partners have really worked towards trying to achieve. For us, I think one of the main goals, as Neil said, for this show is we really want to make it a, a fully encompassing experience for the attendees and you know people want to come and they want to see the machinery in action which is something that we really pride ourselves on in all of our shows is that you can come you can actually see the machines touch the machines talk to the technicians but in addition to that adding in this education component on the show floor really helps people give them that background that additional education in addition to being able to see everything in action. So um, it's been great, the, the partnership that we have both with IDFA and Colmesa and being able to draw from each of the group's experience, whether it's the industry experience or, or show organizing experience, has really helped us in putting together this all-encompassing event. Do you do post-event surveys, and how important are those in shaping the show? Absolutely. We we ask everybody we can find about their experience at the show, both from the exhibitors and the attendees. And for all of our shows, uh, it's innovation, seeing the new technologies, learning about the industry, as well as the networking component. One of the ways that we've managed to develop different parts of, of ProFoodTech is based on what the input is from the attendees and the exhibitors. So we're, you know, we're constantly changing the show to try to make it more attractive and make it more uh, make the ROI better for the for both parties, so that they they get what they want out of it, and they have input into what goes into it. So it's a it's a nice collaboration with our stakeholders at the same time. Is there still room for more exhibitors and more delegates if they're interested in attending? Yes, we do have room for both for more exhibiting companies. We actually recently expanded the Dairy Pavilion. And as far as attending, the registration price is thirty dollars until March first. So we recommend people register before the first to get the discounted registration as well as receive their badge in the mail before the show. And there's all kinds of information on the show and how to register on the website as well? 
Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I recommend going to profoodtech.com. Potential attendees can go to the website. They have the ability to search by keyword, by product category, and kind of see exactly who will be there to, to fit their specific needs. From the US, it's back to the UK to talk about an interesting new concept from the company Food Forward, which has a data platform for the UK dairy industry to match UK manufacturers of dairy foods with sustainable energy, food waste and water management technologies. To tell us more about how it works and how companies can get involved is Food Forward's managing director, Conrad Young. I started off by asking Conrad to give us a little background on the company and the development of the platform. Well, Food Forward has been around since 2015, but our focus on dairy really started uh, last year, 2018, uh, where we produced a report which was called Dairy Forward, uh, and that title is what we've used to uh, describe this project that we're now doing. And the Dairy Forward report looked at the UK. Initially, it looked at the entire food sector for adoption of sustainable technology, sustainable innovation, uh, and compared the leaders in the laggards. And out of that, we pretty soon determined that the dairy sector was one that had some unique characteristics, and that was uh, disproportionate production of waste and use of energy relative to a couple of important economic indicators. So the GVA, gross uh, value added, which is a an indicator used by government to determine a sector's contributions to the national economy, uh, and capex. So uh, the dairy sector is compared with others like you know, meat and bakery, and so forth, uh, not not really doing so well economically relative to the amount of you know, energy consumption and waste consumption. And so our report is available on our website, which is foodfw.com. Goes into some of those. Uh, questions about how have the dairy businesses who are leading in the area of clean technology done so? You know, where have they invested? What renewable or waste technologies they use, and how has that impacted them economically? And we, over the course of last year, figured out that there was some work still need to be done to take some of those learnings into what are the vast majority of dairy businesses in the UK are small and medium-sized businesses. There are, we think, around seven very large businesses that kind of don't need our help in this way. Uh, the ones doing sort of 300,000 tons per year of milk or more. Uh, but then the, the 90% that are doing less than 50,000 tons uh, often have uh, you know, either a lack of balance sheet weight or they need in-house capacity that they, they really can't afford, in-house skills to, to uh, determine what's best to invest in this area of renewables and, and sustainable technologies. And this platform that we're developing is really meant to help those guys and girls who are doing uh, you know, great business. They may be artisanal or they may be larger, uh, cheese producers, yogurt producers, uh, different, different products. Uh, that uh, will need to be future-proofed against the sort of volatile background of, of energy uh, supply and uh, the increasing cost of waste disposal and some of the consumer and, and customer, big retail customer demands on packaging and, and other forms of you know, environmental impact in their supply chain. 
and and how does your platform deal with that? Well, we have uh, at the back end a, a system that enables us to pull in data. So this is data from the operation that will relate to either their location or their uh, production, what what comes in, what goes out, uh, energy consumption, water consumption, waste, and then link that to some external factors such as the, uh, the cost of energy and, and forecasted cost of energy, availability of government um, support or, or other forms of financial support for different types of technologies. And um, critically importantly, it, it looks at uh, some of the capital technology out there, so some of the clean technologies that are at commercial scale but maybe not so visible that have a, a capital cost and a, a running cost that's validated and verifiable, and the, the platform allows us to take that set of data from the site and the set of data from these, these capital technologies and apply one to the other to see what the impact would be. So do, do dairy companies have very different requirements and very different problems that need to be solved? I think clear that dairy companies, particularly if they are including the farm level area production, have big issues with waste, sort of slurry waste. We're not going to be tackling that perhaps directly in this iteration of the, the platform. Uh, we're more focused on you know, the manufacturing stage. But there's a very interesting statistic that uh, came out of the reports on the production of waste, which I think um, we were looking at tens of thousands of tons of edible oils coming out of the dairy sector. Now, anybody who's sort of interested in ingredients and interested in uh, proteins and, uh, and, and energy, wasteful energy, food waste, will recognize that when you've got tens of thousands of tons of waste oils being produced in a sector, and, and they're just being disposed of. That's that's a loss. That's an economic loss to to the system. So uh, definitely something that we think is worth focusing on now. Uh, whether we yet have all the technologies that are needed or all the the, uh, the infrastructure to enable that waste to be recaptured and, and valorized, made made better use of, how it's turned into new products. That's not so clear yet, and and certainly something that we'd be looking to. Uh, developing the source of the project, uh, but generally speaking, you know the dairy, dairy industry has has similar issues to, to other other industries, but just doesn't seem to be making the same sort of profit through. And we think part of that is through lack of capital investment and some some fairly straightforward renewable. So, what stage are you at now? Are you looking for companies to to, to work with? Absolutely. So we've uh, I think I mentioned. Last year, we were working with a, uh, a medium-sized uh, business in the UK, and in fact, we, we worked with one of the big multinationals, which gave us this, this first sense of the, the scale of what's possible when you're looking at very innovative technologies, and when you've got a massive balance sheet and a global view, uh, as the, the multinational dairy companies do. There's a lot of opportunity out there, so we've taken that thought and said, oh, "Okay, let's ask." The same sorts of questions, but with the idea that it's not going to be a you know a, a 500,000 ton plant that's 
we're going to be installing this stuff in. It's, it's going to be a, a much smaller one. And go and see what technologies are out there that are uh, of appropriate scale. So we're looking for uh, 36 companies. We have, we have uh, through the support of the uh, uh, Innovate UK's Business Basics Fund, we have the ability to offer 36 places to uh, UK-based um, dairy manufacturers. And uh, we'll be keeping that open, we think, for another couple of weeks. So far, it's filling up uh, quite nicely, and we're, we're getting uh, over one a day. Uh, we've had the support uh, of the Specialist Cheesemakers Association. They've, uh, they've pushed message out to their their members, and uh, we've got we think a pretty good idea of who's out there and who should be interested in this. But uh, obviously, anybody listening to podcasts who is keen to be involved in seeing what's possible for their their site in terms of renewables and other clean technologies and is willing to share the data uh, on what they're currently consuming in terms of energy and water and uh, wastewater production and, and solid waste production, we'd be very, very keen to talk to them and uh, obviously with the reassurance that uh, if, they, if they do share their data, that uh, we keep it uh, private and anonymized and only communicate it in, a, in an aggregated form. And is this something that would be applicable in other places once it's all been developed and other than the UK? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so wherever there is a dairy sector that's got small and medium-sized producers, this is obviously applicable. Uh, so North America, for sure, uh, I think we're seeing a, a rise in innovative small businesses producing uh, what might previously have been called niche products, but are getting less and less niche as, as each month passes. So absolutely it would, it would apply for those that are working at this uh, you know, medium scale who are perhaps supplying a local market or supplying a, a specialist market uh, nationally or internationally and just want to keep their scale down and manageable and keep their environmental footprint small and manageable as well. And now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. Butter was uh, stable to lower in futures this week. Um, we had Q2 uh, was trading around the 44.70, 44.80 level again. We saw trading mixed between traders, end users and, and processors. Cream has been trading lower uh, in comparison at the 4,700, 4,750 delivered level, which is down probably around 300 tons, or down about 300 euros on the week. Physical butter has been continuing to trade uh, with a carry, and uh, this had March trading, say, around the 4,000, 4,100 level, but Q2 seemingly up uh, around the 4,300 level. Uh, futures have been mimicking this, really, uh, with also carry, but uh, obviously at a, at a premium to the physical. Skimmel powder has been back volume-wise on the trading front uh, with the market under pressure at the start of week and offered at the 19.20 level in Q2. But then we had a, a surprising GDT on Wednesday, um, an unexpected rally where it was up around 6.7% overall and Skimmel powder was up uh, around 3.9%. This uh, scared off a lot of the sellers and sent them higher uh, best offers now in quarter two or closer to the 19.80 level, which is uh, around 60, 70 euros uh, higher than what it was at the beginning of the week. There's still probably lots of uh, covering to be done by end users um, still recovering from the fact that prices are from the 1300 1400 levels of last year. 
but uh, they're having difficulty to come to terms with the fact that the prices are stronger. Whey was trading lower, close to around the 830 uh, euro level, but the strong GDT has yet to have an effect and feel that that might lend some support to Whey prices also. Great. Thank you, Liam. Talk to you next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another week. Next week, we'll have an interview with Amcor on the impressive new packaging they created for Danone's new yogurts in Argentina. Hopefully an interview on the prevention of carbon shedding in dairy processing with Donaldson Company. And maybe something from the Ice Cream Expo as well, as I endeavor to find the latest news and maybe even the strangest new ice cream flavor on offer. So maybe next week I'll use the theme music from Game of Cones or something by Alice Scooper. Sorry. Thanks for listening.